Kralodun, Legends and Lore. Episode 3, A Historical Summary. Hello and welcome to Episode 3 of Trollodon Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey. Last episode, we finished working our way through an introduction to the cosmos, and now I'd like to switch gears to an historical summary, which will help frame in the rest of the world and allow us to better ground all of our future episodes. So with that said, let's get right to it. Trollodron scholars, primarily patrician Dredonites, have made two basic divisions when it comes to documenting Trilodroan history. These divisions are unrecorded and recorded time. Unrecorded time is a span of years that came before the first known written documentation was put down by the ancient ancestors of the mortal races who now inhabit the planet. Because of this understanding, it is widely held that recorded time is the beginning of not only written history, but mortal kind as well. Before recorded time, there is nothing but legends, myths, and uncertainty. The creation, reign of the gods, and the Draenors. Most of these came by way of the Cosma and Theogona, which we'll cover in just a moment. And while all side of other oral histories and tales, they are the only two sources most tend to trust for this period of time, when it comes to actually recording the years in the previously mentioned divisions, there is a collection of systems scholars employ. Some are more popular in the modern day, others have been more popular in ages past. These systems are as follows, Cosmic Timeline, Before Vindication, Post Vindication, Trilodroan Timeline, Before the Great Shaking, After the Great Shaking, and the Sargonian Calendar. For the sake of this podcast, however, we're going to be focusing only on Before and Post Vindication, which are the most popular divisions of time in the modern era. Before Vindication gets its start by reworking a previously used system that measured things before or after the Great Shaking. After the events of the Divine Vindication, which was another impressive event we'll talk about later, the modern timeline was reconfigured to match its occurrence. Post Vindication is the measure of years following the Divine Vindication. This timeline is further set apart as it counts the years up from the Vindication, not down as does Before Vindication. As already mentioned, ancient Trilodroan history has been maintained and kept by two main sources. Whereas later and more modern centuries have seen a collection of several various forms of historical accounts, each as varied as their audience and intended purpose, a handful have survived to serve as the main reference and even source of information after many of the original source documents have been lost. These works, in turn, would become the foundation of known history and serve as a major component of the historical narrative for many generations of scholars, sages, scribes, and laymen alike. These six main historical works are as follows. The Theogona, the Cosma, the Grand Chronicle, the Silver Treatise, the Golden Treatise, and the Millennial Chronicles. But for our purposes today, we're just going to be focusing on the Theogona and Cosma. So let's start with the Theogona. The Theogony was created by Titans who had fled the growing power of the lords of Trilodon, leading up to their time of calling in the fiends onto the planet. 
Those who wrote it were a mixture of cosmins, pantheists, and just general defectors who truly feared for the future, and with the rise of the fiends sought ways to record what they could of their history so they might leave behind some sort of record of their race. Given the various views and ideologies composing it, there are naturally some points of view or topics that tend to get highlighted more over others. But when it was compiled, efforts were made to smooth and balance things out to present a more whole and uniform presentation of historical account. In the years after the Titans' removal from Trilodon, the other scholars and scribes worked on continuing to copy the material, which has continued to be even the case until the present time, thus ensuring that the work and the information it conveyed would never really be forgotten. As such, this historical tome is considered the foundation of history, even if viewed by those in later centuries as myths and legends. Combined with the Cosma, it often Combined with the Cosma, it offers some of the only insights into the times not just of the early days of Trilodon, but what came before and led up to its creation. Naturally, with such insight, it's highly favored among the priests, and those given to such matters while having fallen more out of favor since the vindication with the general population, who look more to the modern historical accounts for a sense of place and purpose in the cosmos. Even so, many wealthy people and those of status often will seek their own copy for their libraries. And while the history is still of interest to many, it's seen more as a collection of stories and tales more than actual history. A summary of things, perhaps, but not something that can be entirely believed without some critical thinking and skepticism to help pull out the real kernels and truth amid the fanciful dressing. And now we'll turn our focus on the Cosma. The Cosma was inspired by and follows the Theogonum, which provided a summary and ongoing historical record for what would become all that took place following the coming of the Draenors. When Marat's push for greatness turned dark and corrupted, and the Draenors found themselves lost and dying and cursed as a race, those still not taken by Marat's fantasies desired to create a history of their own race and nation, both the good and the bad, highs and lows, picking up from where the Titans left off before their story began, but also including what they could of the other nations and races who shared the planet with them. The work was involved and compiled from other sources and information along the way, but after about 15 years of effort, a collection of 80 Draenorch scribes, sages, and scholars finished a document they hoped would not only preserve something of their existence, but also help continue the story of creation and life when combined with the Theogonum. It also helped that for a time into the shadow years, when recorded time was established, some sages, scribes, scholars, mostly from mortal kind, added to the story of the planet and people after the Great Shaking. While it was more general in overview at times, given the chaotic nature of what followed such a catastrophic event, when combined with what was already written, it provided a thread for future generations to follow. And in this, it has done well. Many scholars and even priests cite the work for certain references and information used in conducting research or comprising their own works of history. Bards and other storytellers have even been known to mine its depths for inspiration or hints of tales they can take and make their own. It also helped form the foundation of the modern understanding of the present ages and even how one is to write historical documents in general, forming the foundations of the modern templates for scribes, sages, and scholars to follow. Finally, it has also contributed to parts of the modern religions on Trilodon, since they use the document in part to help flesh out certain elements in their own histories, as well as provide a foundation upon which to solidly anchor their own ancient texts and sacred tomes. And now that we have a basic understanding of the basic 
two foundational books of Trilodron history, I wanted to end the podcast today focusing on the major ages of Trilodron, at least as far as they concern the Northern Hemisphere and up until the present modern time as we know it at the recording of this podcast. And these ages are, first of all, the ones under unrecorded time, the beginning, the Thangarian Age, the Pantheonic Age, the Titanic Age, and the Dranoric Age. Under the recorded time banner, we have the Shadow Years, First Age of the Wizard Kings, Second Age of the Wizard Kings, Third Age of the Wizard Kings, Fourth Age of the Wizard Kings, First War of Magic, Second War of Magic, Third War of Magic, The Divine Vindication, and The Age of Ash. So let's focus on the beginning real quick here. This was the beginning of everything. Myths and legends speak of two powerful and unknowable forces causing all things to be. Everything that was, is, and ever will be was created from just these two entities. With the Thangarian Age, we also see some myths speaking of a time when Titans came to power. They ruled a great empire spanning many worlds centered on their whole world called Thangaria. As the empire grew, it came to be ruled by the first gods, Vakar and Zora, who would later give birth to the Pantheon. And the Pantheonic Age followed, of course, the Thangarian Empire and its fall and the death of their parents. The children of Vakar and Zora took power and ruled instead, forming the Pantheon. Each god also increased the realm's power and influence, which they continue to do until the present day. The Titanic Age the first powerful empire on Trilodon was ruled by Titans who had migrated from Thangaria. They were the rulers of the world before any other race came to dominate the planet. At first a peaceful people, they soon grew jealous of the gods and wished to be like them, then greater than them. Mighty in nature and ability, they ravaged Trilodon in their battles with the Lenorms in trying to forge their dreams of greater glory into reality. Ultimately, this drive would unleash some of the darkest times Trilodon has ever known and alter the course of the planet and population forever. The last age of the unrecorded time period would be the Dranoric Age, which after the Titans' defeat, the gods left the Dranors in charge of Trilodon. Sadly, they too wound up as despots in the end. According to the Patrius and Cosma, the gods cursed them to a slow extinction and caused them to bring forth humans, elves, dwarves, gnomes, and halflings in their attempt to escape it. With the Draenor's demise, there is once a great shaking that split up the once massive continent dominating much of Trilodron, burying almost all of it beneath the waves and pushing pieces beyond the boiling sea. In the aftermath, those who remained sought to rebuild and re-inhabit, in many cases, a new and strange world. And now we transition into recorded time, which does have some dates and information I can offer, but instead I'm going to abstain from that in this particular episode because it will just be a bunch of numbers coming at you and you won't be able to retain them anyway as we move along. We'll cover some of those things later as we get into more information and things. But for now, I just wanted to present a basic overview of the areas so you had a basic idea of what they were about. The Shadow Years. This was a time of societal darkness as those who survived the Great Shaking had to rebuild and repopulate the new world presented them. Being, made, being unable to reclaim or recreate any great civilizations until the rising of the origin cities. And under the shadow years, we have some different listings here, the time of beginnings. These years are fragmented in terms of recorded documentation, growing more detailed as time progresses. Encompassing the span at the very dawn of history for mortal kind, 
These were the centuries when the origin cities came to power and the development of all the other creatures, nations, and races that called Trollodon home began to flourish. The Imperial Wars. As the races grew in number and territory, they began to rub up against each other with increasing friction. In time, fueled by ambition, greed, and other dark traits, a period of global warfare soon erupted. Each nation either tried to defend itself from being taken over or was the one trying to do the taking over. The wars destroyed all the origin cities save Remolos, which was rebuilt and has remained inhabited to the modern day. The First Great Unrest Taking advantage of the rubble and bedlam the Imperial Wars caused, a great wave of murderous migrations exploded from the lands beyond the Boiling Sea. From here came Jarthals, Raru, and their offspring, along with more monstrous races who took over lands and ransacked ruins, slaughtering at will. The wave of death and violence spread up from the south, all the way to the far west and to the extreme north. The whole track of their carnage-laden migrations served as a seedbed from which in modern days would become tribes, clans, and pockets of goblins, hobgoblins, ogres, giants, and lizardmen that still sprinkle most of the northern hemisphere. The Whispering Years Here the recorded knowledge available becomes scarce, and any insight into this era is dim and fleeting, like straining to hear whispers in the wind. All that's known for certain is it was a time very close to the years of perdition, and was depressed in poverty and ruined. Further, the people were very faithful at this time, looking to dependence to the gods for release from the hardships many suffered during these years. The Years of Restoration This period of time was just a shorter version of what happened in the time of beginnings, rebuilding and repopulating the lands and world that had been ravaged by the Imperial Wars and then the First Great Unrest. This was when new kingdoms arose, independent cities emerged, and nations began to define themselves anew by race, culture, and other social means. There were still a few minor skirmishes here and there, but the general trend was of an upward nature. In time, much of the scars healed and smoothed over, setting the stage for a new era dotting on the horizon. The First Ascent On the heels of the years of restoration, the increase didn't stop once things were restored. Indeed, many new discoveries were found, and the knowledge of all was increased from the lowest of peasants to the greatest of kings. Architecture, art, and the sciences soared in progress at this time. In addition, a number of social and political matters were addressed so as to help bring about what's been called Trollodon's Golden Age. Now we enter a new age, the first age of the Wizard King. For the most part, what marks this age is the discovery and rise of mages. People began to understand the nature of magic, and many found they had the ability to wield it. While just fledglings in skill, while below even what present-day apprentices can master, they grew in understanding and recorded what they learned. It was during this time that the Tarsu, the first school and organization of mages, was founded. In time, they would give birth to the rise of the wizard kings. During this age, however, they were scholars and scavengers of lost knowledge and magical insight. The First War of Spoils as the Tarso began to teach students, non-mages began to rediscover the Draenors and sought out their ruins with fervor. Lost treasure, hidden secrets, and forgotten mysteries from long ago all caused a massive campaign funded by merchant, faith, and king alike to try and gain as many of these relics and riches as possible. While not a true war in the sense that no one fought battles against one another for their so-called spoils, the drive to get them was equal in pitch to the energetic din of combat. Eventually, this craze died down as many of the known sites were picked over, and very few of any new locations were found to keep the flame of looting burning. 
the second age of the wizard kings. When true mages started to appear and marked the beginning of this age, more skilled than their previous teachers, they began to approach the talents of most mages in the present age. The Tarsu also became more political at this time, gaining much influence from the royal, rich, and highly established citizens who had joined their ranks. As with the first War of Spoils, new discoveries of ruins and secreted wealth led to searching out many relics, riches, and tempting insights into greater magical power. However, this time it became a more wide-scale event, as many kingdoms headed or influenced by Tarsuic members pushed the issue for their own gain. As with the previous collection of spoils, this craze soon burned out when the trickle of locales dried up and was picked over. The Third Age of the Wizard Kings It was during this age that mages first ascended into wizard kings, taking up ruling their own territories as kings and queens, and starting to amass followers and subjects as a true ruler would. Seeing the rising power, many turned to them for aid instead of the gods and their priests. This caused a decline in the faithful and worship of the pantheon in favor of the wizard kings, who took this growing attention to rise closer toward a divine rank with each new generation of devotees. The Years of Perdition This was a chaotic time with the rising of wizards and the fracturing of faith and society. Poverty and other calamities came upon the land, forcing many to crime and other vices that further added fuel to the fire. The Katark Knights were created to combat these troublesome matters. For forty years they waged a massive campaign, gaining support all over Trollodon in a war against crime and injustice. These wars led to a massive recruitment and decreased unrest on a large scale, helping cement the knighthood into one of the oldest and most respected institutions in the world. The Great Apostasy while the Gatark Knights were respected, not many of the people held to the old ways of things as did their ancestors before them. As more and more people turned to the wizard kings and the gods, the temples and priests faltered, shrank, and then faded. Many smaller shrines and places of worship were emptied to serve the wizard kings instead. With the increase of this new godlessness of the masses, many faithful saw a great threat looming on the horizon and dreaded the day when it would fall upon them taking out the last bastions of fealty to the pantheon. Fenningway's Crusade To combat the falling faith of his peers, a zealous gnome named Josiah Fenningway organized a militia group to combat the rising tide of the Wizard Kings. His plan was to turn people back to the truth and the gods, but it was a short-lived venture. Preaching his messages and gaining more successes against weaker wizards, he eventually was killed in a reprisal attack by a more powerful wizard queen who had grown tired of his efforts. For another five years, his followers traveled all the world spreading his message, but they met with little success. At the end of the five years, they had either lost their zeal, been killed, or silenced by fear. The Fourth Age of the Wizard Kings During these centuries, the Wizard Kings rose to the greatest heights. With such mastery of magical might and insight, which rose many to the rank of demigod, they turned an envious eye toward each other in plotting for still more. Kingdoms and empires were their playthings, for no ruler dared touch them. All feared their power and ire. Faith in the gods reached its nadir. Temples were turned into houses for the glory of the wizard kings, and cults had begun to spring up around them, seeking to deify these mages for their own, for their great accomplishments and mere presence. Other rulers and some brave souls, however, would soon rise up to challenge the continuing crushing dominion of the wizard king's heel. The Second Great Unrest 
Hard times became even harder when the Wizard Kings began to purchase large armies comprised of the monstrous races that had first made up the first great unrest and unleashed them on their enemies and weaker mages. All around the world, these mercenary armies battled for their magical lords. Only by the efforts of the Gataric Knights, other faithful warriors, and remaining priests did the armies eventually shatter and a fragile peace was returned. The Elven Cleansing this period was named for the bold actions of the Elamic Emperor Dionysus, who began a program to slaughter all mages and magically inclined individuals in the Republic of Colony. It was a bloody affair, but effective in ridding all of Colony and its territories of any magical taint. Those who were not slaughtered in this campaign fled to more tolerant lands. Dionysus War Seeing the success of his war, Dionysus made his case to the other nations, offering to join forces to attack all the mages and wizard kings wherever they resided. Not all these leaders took him up on this offer, but those who did waged a massive war against the wizard kings and the lower-ranked mages who followed them. The war was meeting with much success when Dionysus was killed by a fiery spear falling upon his palace. The action stilled the efforts of the other nations over the next six years, as all learned the true threat of what they were facing and how they could all be next should their sworn opponents choose to make them an example. The First War of Magic These first series of wars were fought sporadically and took care of many of the lesser skilled mages and weaker wizard kings across the world. Their knowledge captured and added to the victorious wizard kings, their conquerors grew even more powerful. No one dared interfere with these battles, as they feared to back a losing mage, or worse yet, risk the ire of both warring parties. So the wars continued, the numbers of mages fell, and the power and prestige of the victorious wizard kings grew. The Second War of Magic The wars increased in frequency, duration, and intensity as more skilled wizard kings began to raise massive armies to fight their foes. Cities and kingdoms were pushed aside in these battles like so much rubbish, and the victors grew ever more powerful. Many people were displaced, whole terrains were decimated, and new hardships such as famine and disease began to cover the world in a sickly shroud. To all who lived through these years, it seemed as if hope itself was dying. The Third War of Magic Finally, the wars had winnowed away all the lesser mages till only a handful survived to battle for supreme control over all. Continents were shaken, whole populations were slaughtered, and the world looked as if it was destined to become a terrible, hellish waste. The wizard kings didn't care. Each battle brought them closer to their goal of being supreme. Eventually, these remaining wizard kings made their final press for total control of the areas in which they lived. As these continent-wide plans for dominance and control grew, so too did the carnage they spawned. The battles they unleashed were something Trilodron hadn't seen since the time of the Titans, and greatly displeased the gods. Seeing that nothing would change without their intervention, they brought about the end of the fighting and set up by divine decree the end of the root of these wars, as they saw it. The Divine Vindication The Pantheon had decided that Drayden's gift given to the Draenors, that is magic, was being abused by mortal kind and so ordered Drayden to revoke it. Drayden followed their declaration, causing the minds of mortal kind to forget what they had once known and greatly weakened their ability to manipulate any form of magic. While not revoking his gift entirely, Drayden's actions pleased the Pantheon. Over a period of five years, the abilities and skills of those who had once been able to wield magic faded away along with the knowledge they had gained from ancient Draenoric texts. 
These same texts tended to be lost as well in a number of surprising ways, ranging from raids by monstrous races, fire, flood, and mysterious thefts. At the end of the five years, no human, elf, dwarf, halfling, or gnome could wield or understand the nature of magic. So it was that the ages of the wizard kings and the wars of magic they brought to the world finally ended. The Age of Ash This was a bittersweet time on Trelodon. The world was torn from many wars and had to heal. People returned to the faith of their ancestors, rebuking the ways of the wizard kings which had left them disillusioned and their lives and lands ruined. Over time, the nations were rebuilt, and all returned to a state of peace that had been in existence before the horrible wars, and the wizards who had caused them came into power. And that is the modern-day era we are participating in in the present books, if you are interested. And that's where we'll call it quits to today's episode. But before I went, I wanted to remind you to send your questions you might have to me at lore at chadcorey.com. That's L-O-R-E at C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com. And I'll see about answering them in an upcoming episode. Also, I wanted to remind everyone who's listening that if you don't know about it, Return of the Wizard King, the first book in the Wizard King trilogy, is still available for pre-order. And it will be coming out June 9th, 2020. It will also be available as an audiobook and ebook if you're interested in those formats as well. You can read more about it, including checking out a sample chapter and even listening to a dramatic reading I did on the website, chadcory.com. See you next time. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey, all rights reserved.